After a moment of incredulous quiet, prisoners were running, yelling to their huts, away from the powerhouse to which the guards were racing. Zimmer shot the first two guards and stepped into the powerhouse, a prayer on his lips. He was very happy. Quickly, he found what he wanted and limped forward. Hear ye, Israel, he said aloud, and swung the axe for the last time. The darkness when it came was total, but already the men with the wire cutters had moved into position, the men with the mattresses close behind. The pandemonium around them was so complete that men had eyes only for their own huts, thought only of the terrible revenge that would be taken for the powerhouse sentry. When Zimmer fired, Daniel attacked his guard, who was trying to push his way through a crowd of prisoners to reach the source of the shots. Asimov and Gabrilovich followed his lead. Zimmer had given them a wonderful opportunity, and they took it. Daniel's hands snapped the life from the guard as if it were thread. Gabrilovich and Asimov used their knives. All three men killed quickly, but without pity. The one Asimov killed had been his lover. They took the carbines and ammunition pouches and grouped together. No one stopped them. Every face they saw was filled with incredulous horror. Then the lights died and they raced to the wire. The mattresses went down and they were through, running, Daniel in the lead, feeling his way along the track that he had memorised, eyes closed, for the last three weeks. They fought the clearing in the forest and lay panting as Daniel called out their names. Asimov, Avramov, Daniel, Gabrilovich, Goldfarb, Klein, Moskovitz, Zhelkov. Of Kaplan, there was no sign. Goldfarb said at last, I think he knew he had no chance. He did this to help us. Daniel heaved up the great stone that covered their hoarded food. I hope so, he said, but there is something wrong. I know it. Quickly, he gave each man his share of the food, then put into each hand a nugget of gold. We split up now? Moskovitz asked. Daniel said, in a moment. First, let me have the weapons. He distributed them carefully. The best shot in each team got a carbine, the rest had knives. Gabrilovich led a team, and so did Klein. Daniel's team of four was reduced to two. Zimmer dead, Kaplan missing. Go now, said Daniel. Esimov and I will be the rear guard. They said no word, and it was dark still, but their silence was filled with meaning. Then Gabrilovich and Klein left, and the others followed. What do we do? Asimov asked. We move north, said Daniel. North? But that's the wrong way. Daniel said nothing for a moment, then, We'll draw off the pursuit, he said, and smiled. You're a good man, Asimov said. Daniel remembered the jingle of harness in the stable. The ponies had been saddled and ready even before the breakout. No point in going into all that with Asimov. Not now. The boy admired him too much. A squadron of guards, mounted on ponies, overtook Gabrilovich's team before dawn and killed them all at a loss of a man and two ponies.
It took them longer to find Klein's team because they had lost their route, and when they did, Klein's team fought hard. The guards wanted one prisoner at least, but in the end only Zhelkov was left alive, and he died of wounds on the way back. The guards lost two more men. Shortly afterwards, the Uzbek commandant was shot by firing squad, and his second-in-command, who had led the pursuit, was promoted in his place. For six months, Kaplan, Daniel and Asimov were posted missing. After that, they were presumed dead. To die in Volochanka is not perhaps such a terrible thing. To survive is infinitely worse. Volochanka is special. It is designed as hell was for the fallen angels, and like hell's its final...